group, um, both here and on Sundays, with the idea that things don't always go our way. In fact, things rarely go our way, and uh, part of the issues that we have with life have to do when those two things don't line up. In other words, there's things that we want, and there's things that we think we want, there's things that we think would be really good, and when those things don't happen, it creates a situation where we're in a position to reconcile that. And I suppose that one of the, the biggest, I don't know if I could say challenges, obstacles, uh, one of the things that I would really be pushing us toward in our lives is to remove the need to reconcile it. In other words, a lot of time and a lot of effort is spent on trying to reconcile two worlds that don't need to coexist. Uh, we don't need our own world. We don't. We don't need our own little worldly space that we live in, where everything's the way we want it, because it, it doesn't exist anyway. And so we expend a lot of effort maintaining a world we don't need and then trying to reconcile that world to reality and to what's actually going on around us. So, uh, now what do I mean by that? All right, and this is what I want you to think about for a second, is all right, when, I, when I accuse you, and I did accuse you, of having your own little world, what do I mean by that? How, do you, how would you define that for yourself? How do you see your own little world? And you might say, well, I don't have that. And you may not. You probably do, but I'm just asking you if you can kind of define that for me. Uh, certain activities you want to yeah. have happening. Okay. Certain space you want around you during certain times of the day. How would, yeah, how would you recognize your own little world? What's a good way to recognize it? Comfortable. Your own schedule. Oh. Okay. Could be a schedule. Could be comfort, because that could be you know something that you really value. Controlling your own schedule could be something you really value. All right. Things you determined that you were going to do. You, you doing what you want to do. A list. Just doing what you want to do. You can make a list if you want. <laughs> sure. And doing that. What's on that list? Yeah. That, that has to do with that. Having people on that list be that, where they're supposed to be according to my schedule. They'd have to be there, yeah, because if they're not, <laughs> it's really inconvenient for your schedule. If they're not where you want them to be when you want them to be there. Right. That's right. Okay. What else? Precious. Like rituals or... Yeah. Maybe you have to have two cups of coffee before you step out the door. You have apple checks or... <laughs> right? Yeah. Now I and I you know that that's a good point. I'm highly structured. All right. I live highly structured because it helps me, um, or I believe it helps me, to uh, be more productive in other times in my day. So certain parts of my day are highly structured. So what happens when your structure gets broken? I know I get irritated. Yeah. There's a time in between the two flights I do in the morning. Mm -hmm. There's this about 20 minute span of time when I use the bathroom and I, I put water in my face to help me wake up. Well, I don't know why I decided to do it, but now I do it every day. When it doesn't happen, I get kind of pissed off. 
Yeah. No, no one has promised me that in 20 minutes. No. But I get pissed off if I can't do it. I don't even need to use the bathroom. I just go now because it's part of what I do. The rest of the day doesn't seem to go. Get a little cranky. That the right way it should. Very anxious. Like somebody didn't show up to job their job, so it affected me. They pulled me from the K two wing, put me in eighth grade. They were throwing computers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that creates a certain level of anxiety. Oh yeah, and unpredictability, right? Okay. All right. So now, if you think about what you've been doing, have you been doing these rituals your whole life? I mean, were you getting up at three thirty in the morning to uh, to drive somewhere, goof off for a little while, so that you could go into the bathroom for twenty minutes and wash your face? No. At any other point in your life, no, than never would right I now. Me. Yeah. Okay. Never would and then once you leave this job, do yeah. you think? Do you hope, do you pray that you don't wake up at that ungodly hour in the morning to wash your face? It'd be a mercy of God if I slept through that. All right, all right. Okay, so these rituals, whatever they are, they're not permanent. No. No. Okay, and I don't think any of them are. In other words, you know, you weren't born drinking coffee, right? Probably left the house before first or second grade without two cups of coffee, right? <laughs> well, well, maybe that. Yeah. Or wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boozing it up before kindergarten. All right. So, so these are these are learned behaviors, all right, and they're also behaviors that we cultivate based on what's going on in our world. Why? In some ways, as I'm doing things, like let's say I want to get X, Y, and Z done in the morning every morning. Now, I wasn't doing that maybe five or six years ago, but these are new habits that I have that I would like to continue. Uh, like there might be certain supplementation I want to take. There might be certain drinks I need to make before I leave the house so I can take them with me. I may need a lunch before I, I leave the house. I may whatever it is. And so I have put all of those things that need to get done into a ritual so that I can make sure I get those done every day without having to think about it. See, I'm not there yet. Like, every day is different. Right. Like, no day looks exactly the same as the next. So I don't really have, like, a ritual. I know I have to be to work before 8 uh -huh. o'clock. So between 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.45, 7, I'll wake up, you know. Every day is new. I mean, I have routines, like a certain place I have to be uh -huh. so I can be paid. But other than that, every day is different. <laughs> I just do whatever. You know, that's the problem. Well, there's got to be a reconciliation, and that's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to look at, okay, what's the reconciliation of this? Or is there any? So, in other words, the, there's certain habits people develop which I think can make them more effective. 
Uh, it depends on what the ritual is. It depends on what the idea behind it is, what the purpose is behind it, and whether or not, if that ritual is skipped, if a person can go on with the day, all right? And, and how deeply embedded those things are in us. Who is allowed to uh, break the ritual for us? Who's allowed to interfere? Who's allowed to say, uh, we're going to do things differently today? And, and where does that come in? So I guess uh, I wanted to bring all that up because I, I think there's some advantages to that. And some of you have read books about highly effective people. All right, and is any of that in any of the literature for highly effective people as far as, you know, developing certain habits over time or not? Yes. Because I don't really read that stuff too much. I should have read it. Mm -hmm. It's like five strategies of highly effective people. It's okay, working out, working out like at a regular time of the day, like at the same time of the day. Uh -huh. or, um, Waking up at the same time of day, even if it's Sunday. Right. Okay. You um, The highly effective, the Franklin Covey stuff talks about like your, more about your response to things, and identifying what you are in control, like what you have the ability to affect. What's right. in your circle of influence versus what's outside your circle of influence, uh -huh. and really identifying those right. moments and those things, and then I mean the other and a lot of things that we talk about strategies like doing the same thing at the same time. If you work out every day at the same time, if you do this at the same time, right? And identifying what's important and not as important, mm -hmm. and we tend to focus on doing the things that are not as important, right? Yeah, the reconciliation of this is that we have to have the right perspective on what it is we're doing. In other words, uh, for example, uh, me take, you know, developing a habit of taking a certain supplementation or, or you know, intaking a certain nutrition or whatever probably would trump washing my face in the airport bathroom. Okay? Because that what you're describing is more of a literal ritual, like not uh, trying to develop new habits or trying to, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and I have those too, you know, and, but it's recognizing which are, which are really doing anything and which aren't, you know, what matters, what doesn't, and, and really putting ourselves in a position where uh, we have certain structures in our lives, but those structures don't rule over us the way God should rule over us. All right. You have, uh, your Bible's going to look at Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. Hopefully we can get back to why we talked about that. At least I hope so. There's a reason I wanted to talk about it. You grab a Bible over here. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take part and wait for the Lord. All right. Uh, there's a couple things about these verses that struck me. One uh, was that I had a memory in my head uh, that the wording on this verse had changed 
from the first time I ever read it. Uh, when I first started reading the Bible, I was reading the King James Bible because that's all I had. And so whenever I read a verse that I'm familiar with that has changed, it sticks out to me. And this was one of those verses that I had read in a King James Bible over and over again, and it sounded differently this time. So that struck me. The second thing that struck me is the repeat in the verse. Uh, the second verse, there's a repeat there. It says, wait on the Lord. And then he, then he says, uh, be strong, don't lose hope, or be courageous, or whatever. And then he says, wait on the Lord. All right. So that struck me as, well, I'm going to repeat myself. So there's a reason why he's repeating himself. So first thing that I noticed was that the verse was a little bit different. And so uh, the, if, you, if you look into like an older version of the Bible, uh, what you'll see there, the way this verse starts off, it says that if, it says, I would have fainted. That's how it starts off. I would have fainted. I would have fainted. If not, for what I know about God. That's what it says. Hmm. So, it, in the version you read and the version I have, it's something I can be sure of. Something I can put my confidence in. In the old version it says, I'd have fainted if I hadn't known this. Okay, and you think about the word faint, uh, passing out. Anybody's got a weak constitution? You know, you get too hot, or you get too dizzy, or you get sick, or seasick, or, or, or vehicle sick, or motion sick, or you might, uh, you, might uh, you know, overexert yourself, and you get a weak constitution like that, it's like, oh. Right? I'm coming, Mildred! And so... <laughs> And, and the idea is, you know, you pass out, fall by the way. Uh, the thing about it is, is that it must be common to all of us in some ways because the guy writing this is David. He's the guy that defeated Goliath, right? It wasn't like this guy was exerting himself and passing out here and there, you know? It wasn't like he, he had some kind of uh, super weak constitution that when he exerted himself, he just was going to pass out on the roadside or on the battle or fall off his horse or something like that. I mean, he's a pretty strong, courageous warrior. And yet, it, the thing starts off with, I would have fainted if I didn't know about God's strength, or I didn't know about what God has said, or I didn't know about what God has shown me, or what I can count on with God. I'd have fainted. And literally what that means is, to when you faint, uh, is, is the, the literal word is lacking brightness, life, clarity, uh, kind of luster, shininess. That's that whole idea of fainting. And, uh, or you could think of it as fading if you want, but that's literally what that is. Like I would have faded away had I not known about God. And so even David, even the slayer of Goliath, even the king of Israel, even the one who has slayed 10,000 men. All right, here's a guy. He's saying he would have faded away had he not understood, had he not known about God and who God is. 
So something I can be sure of, I will see goodness in this life. Alright, so what's good? God. God. Alright. Why is God good? Because he said so. Because he says so. Yeah, I don't want to get it anymore. I just had someone say that to me today. I'm like, huh. That's <laughs> there it is. There it is. That they followed up with every day. So profound. Huh? <laughs> they followed up with every day. Every day. No. Every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> no, but I mean, and, and so I will see goodness in this life. Well, goodness is defined not by what we think it is, because uh, you got to go through a lot of sin to get to that. In other words, if you want to start deciding what's good and what's not, you got to go through some layers of sin for that, because you got to go through some judgment. And then you got to go back to like the first big sin of the knowledge of good and evil. Alright? And so you got to go all the way back to the knowledge of good and evil for you to make that kind of determination in your life. And whether or not you want to, I mean, we can parse words about some of the stuff that Paul said, but I'm not really that interested in that. I'm just interested in, in, in that we really don't know what that is. And that's part of the problem with us trying trying our best to, to do whatever we're going to do as far as reconciling the worlds. Because we've got this little world that we create that we've decided this is what's good and, and this is what's good for me and this is what's good that I like and this is what's good that's going to happen to me. And then you got the real world where whatever happens to us happens to us. And then we're just, we spend so much energy reconciling those two things. When we shouldn't even understand the first thing. In other words, if we hadn't have spent the energy to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden so that we can take our stake in the sin of the knowledge of good and evil, if we hadn't have traveled all the way back there to grab hold of our piece of that meat pie of good and evil and the knowledge of it, then we wouldn't have to reconcile what's going on in our brain and what's going on in the real world. But they would surely line up a lot closer, more closely, than they do when we're making that kind of a judgment in our life. Yeah? One question. Could you use an example? I don't know if that means like um, reconcile, like who you said, go back to the Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Like, is that like you compare what happened to that? Or? No, no. Well, the reason I say that is because our whole understanding, in other words, for me to t- say to you, that's really good. For me to even say that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, so you're just saying we can't, we don't know. Of we don't know. Yeah, because we have to crawl all the way back to the Garden of Eden to that, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told us not to eat of, which we did eat of, which is the original sin, for we wouldn't even know the answer to that. What's good? I don't know. God. That's the only answer we know. It's the only answer we should know. So, so the problem exists because of our insistence on remaining in the original sin of the garden. That's the problem, or at least a major part of the problem. So, David says, I'll see goodness in this life. And when he says that, I don't, don't, don't dismiss that. Man. I hear people dismissing that. It's like, well, 
He just means like, you know, mercy and grace and, and all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, you think about David, he's surrounded by his enemies. That's when the psalm was written. He's surrounded by his enemies. They're too numerous for him to handle. They were lying about him. They were making him look bad. They were threatening him. All these things were going on. And so the usual teaching for this is, well then, get to the throne of grace, brother. Find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. And I have no problem with that. But that's not what he's talking about. It's not just what he's talking about here. There's nothing wrong with getting to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16. It says, boldly approach the throne of grace, find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Alright? Nothing wrong with that. That's good. But that's not everything he's talking about when he says, I will see goodness in this life. Now, I looked up that word life there, and I said, okay, what does that mean? Yeah, I got three different, I got three different definitions, all by well-meaning theologians. You ready? They said it means the kingdom of God, this world, and heaven. Reconcile those three things. I mean reconcile. We can reconcile those three things. <clears throat> what do they all have in common? God. God. Right? God's what? Mercy. Mm. Kingdom. Goodness. What's his kingdom? Rule and reign in our lives. What's, his, what's heaven? What's it marked by? What's the light of heaven? No need of the sun. Why? Uh, lit up by <coughs> huh? He's present, right? He's there, and he lights the whole place. Don't even need the sun. All right. So life is the one that's the. This life is the one that we need to reconcile with the other two. In other words, the other two talk about the presence of God. They talk about His rule, His reign. They talk about Him being in the midst of His people. When you talk about the kingdom and you talk about heaven, that's what you're talking about. This life, if you reconcile that to those other two things, that becomes our perspective as we live, doesn't it? In other words, I, I can't think of this life as being a transition zone only. I can't think of this life as something I'm just going to bear out. I'll make it through. It's like, oh, just, just 50 more years, I'll be in heaven. <laughs> Yeah, you can't live like that, all right? You hear people say that when yeah, they... Well, I know you do. That's why I'm bringing it up. Especially people who are not well, when they have um, health problems. Right? Right. And so the, the issue then becomes how are we going to live this life? The reconciliation comes down to this life. In other words, we're talking about the kingdom. We talk about heaven. That's fine. This life, what are you living? Where are you at? What's going on? What's your perspective on what's around you? What's your perspective on God's presence? What's your perspective on where He's at in your life? What He's doing in your life? What He's involved in? What you allow Him to be involved in? What you want Him involved in in your life? You see, those are all major questions. And they all affect the quality of life, real life, they were going to live. And as David said, there's something I can be sure of, or I would have fainted if I hadn't known this, is that I will see goodness. Goodness what? Goodness is God. I will see God 
in this life, whether you're talking kingdom, you're talking heaven, are you talking living right now? He needs to be in the midst of that. Now, the, another idea about God loving us and, and the goodness of God is that He's always inviting us. And the Bible talks about Him inviting us and He wants us to seek His face. He wants us to seek His face actively. In other words, not just... Well, I sought God's face a few years ago, and that was really cool. It's no, no, that we need to be seeking His face. We need to be seeking more and more and more of Him. To know Him more, to understand Him more, to hear Him more, to be in His presence more. And it is through that seeking that we seek our own mercy in Him. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by seeking your own mercy? How does that make any sense? Anybody? Do you ever like, do yourself a favor and seek God? Yeah. Yep. Not even pleading your case. It's seeing Him for who He really is. In other words, hey, I, I have never, ever had any problem with God's mercy in my life. And yet I know people that I've known to be Christians as long or longer than me that just can't seem to get it. They will beat themselves up at every turn about the way they, they fail or the way they live their life or they don't live their life or whatever it is, and they can never get to that point Whatever that point is, whatever that place is, where they just grab hold of the mercy that God has for them in their life. Constantly striving. Constantly striving against what? Striving to be what? Striving to do what? I have no idea. I have no idea. And when I, when I, when I stoop low enough to try and understand it or explain it, it seems more ridiculous the lower I go to try to figure it out. And I'm just telling you, that's, that's a fact. And so my experience is, is that as you seek God's face, as you really get close to Him, and as you're constantly, and I'm talking about an active motion, moving into His presence in your own life, you find your own mercy. You find it. Because it's already there. It's already in His presence. It's already in where He's at. It's not like He's hiding it somewhere. It's just where He is. It's who He is. It's what He's already done. And I can go down the, the, the teachings and I can go down the list of things He's already done, He's already provided for, He's already given, He's already sacrificed, He laid down His life, He bore his, the, the stripes, he, he did all of those things, He was tortured and He was humiliated, and He did all of those things so that we might have life. I can go down that whole story, you ever hear the Easter story? How many times do you need to hear the Easter story? Alright, you, you get it? I mean, I'll keep telling it every year, that time of year, okay? I'll keep saying it. But at some point, I hope you get it. Somebody gets it. And they just say, 
Oh, yeah. Woo. That feels so much better. Yeah. You should. Because that's where the mercy is. That's where the grace is. It's, 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 in, it's in his midst. And so, if, if we're going to see his goodness, you're going to see God, and you're going to answer the invitation, hey, seek my face. Hey, come into my presence. Hey, you know that, that verse I quoted before, boldly approach the throne of grace? Yeah. That's getting in his presence. You know what's there? Lots of mercy. Lots of mercy in his presence. More mercy than you can sin your way out of. Then you can what? Sin your way out of. There's more mercy there. Alright? Because there is more mercy than there is sin in the world. Much less what you can produce. That's pretty awesome, though, because it's like, um, look how small our, our minds are. We like peanut brain. <laughs> like, just going through the same stuff over and over. Like, you, like you said, like you're punishing yourself for what? You know, that's how I felt after Mr. Um, Parents um, teaching on, uh, on Sunday. I felt like everything was just like, like transformed into place. I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I get it. I got it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good. Good. So, I will live. I will see. I won't lose hope. That's strong. That's strong. I will live. I will see. And I won't lose hope. What does it mean to wait? Patience. Not just with me and you, but with the future. Not for the hope of what I already have, but for the unknown. More, right? More. More? More adventure. More, more new. More. And there's a level of what you just said of trust. Of resigning our will and placing ourselves into His. I want more. I want I want to believe for more. I want to experience more. I want to have more of what God has for me. And the way that's going to happen is if I trust him for that. And and part of waiting is that is patience. As Dave said, it's trust is 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 really putting ourselves into his hands. Anybody ever hear the term self-talk? Yes. What does it mean? There's a difference. Go ahead. There's a difference between uh, looking at someone who makes a mistake and saying, I can learn from that and not do anything, mm -hmm. or looking at someone like me who walked in six years ago and saying, well, based on what happened to him, I'll never get married. You can learn from the one but you're not learning anything from the other. Because I didn't experience where I was ready at one time to be me mm -hmm. and be enough and be intimate, and I was. And things didn't work out the way I hoped, but I still had the experience. Mm -hmm. If you're not a parent, you don't know what it's like. And if you're not married or going to the military, you don't. 
there's a difference though. Mm -hmm. Self-talk is where you say, I'm not going to do something new for me because of what happened to someone else who did. Okay. And they don't know the other side of the story, which is good too. So in that use of self-talk, is that a positive thing or a negative it's thing? It's negative. You negative. talk yourself out of something new. Alright, what's another way, so, uh, good, what's another way self -talk? Or even if like, for me, if I make a mistake, oh I let that person down, oh big dummy, you know, I can't do that, I won't accomplish that, and instead of the other side of it, well, okay, I made a mistake, I said I'm sorry, move on with it. Alright, okay, so in that sense, is it negative or positive? Negative. Negative. Alright, so the usage of self-talk that you've heard that you know of is negative. Yes. And in most cases, if you look at human beings, so the way that we use self-talk, it is negative. And uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, basically because we're making it up. All right? We're just making it up. And, and when we start making things up, that becomes a problem. Now, let me give you another example of self-talk. There's a... Uh, there's guys that I hear talking about it, how you should self-talk yourself positively. In other words, make it till you make it. In other words, you're gonna you're gonna face something in life that's gonna come up, and so you should just say to yourself, "You got this. You got this. You can do it." And then you talk to yourself positively about it. You're smart enough. You're good looking enough. And gosh darn it all, people like you. <laughs> all right. Stuart Smalley, right? From Saturday Night Live. The guy would look in the mirror. You remember that guy? Yeah. All right. That's what he would say. He's like, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like you or something. He would be talking to himself in a mirror. I can't remember what he said. But that's, that's an example of self-talk. Now. I could ask the same question. Now you could say, well, that's positive. There's only one reason that's not positive. What's the reason that's not positive? Relies on yourself. Because it's not true, right? Because you're making it up. All right? See, this is the problem. You can keep making stuff up if you want, but whether it's negative or, or quote-unquote positive, whatever you want to think it is, just because you say it like that, there's a problem with it, is that you're making it up. Now, is that part of that, that world you were talking about earlier? Right, right. In other words, you could self-talk your way into thinking that you are a talented whatever. Gymnast. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like Patrick, for instance, could I talk himself very in. talented gymnast. You'd be a talented gymnast, right? <laughs> I just don't do it because, you know, I don't want to show people up. Right, right, right. You don't want to... Pride, feed your pride, and you don't want to feed your pride. You're staying humble because that's what Jesus said. And so, nope, I won't, I'm not going to demonstrate anything, but just take my word for it. Yeah, yeah, good at it. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see here. This whole psalm, pretty much this section of this Psalm 27, is David self-talking. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> the difference is, you gonna guess the difference? He's not making it up. Alright? In other words, he's applying the truth of God's word to his own life. And if you self-talk God's word, that's the only time I know that it actually works. Is when you self-talk the word of God. That's it. I don't know any other way that it works. Because otherwise, you're just making it up. And so David is self-talking the word of God. But how do I know he's self-talking? Well, who's he talking to? <coughs> he's talking to himself. Alright? That's what he's doing. There he is. He is talking to himself. And now I, I thought that. I've always thought that about this. And so I did. I looked it up. And sure enough, most of the, the theologians that were commenting on this psalm, they all say the same thing, is that he's talking to himself. Because there's no one else for him to be talking to. And there's even a point down in the last time he says, he says, I say wait on the Lord, the last wait on the Lord. There's a little tag in there that says, I say wait on the Lord. You know, giving his little stamp of approval, like this is me talking now. I say wait on the Lord. <laughs> to who? Himself. He said, you know, he's like, I say to myself, I'm telling myself, I need to wait on the Lord. Alright, so... What I want you to get from this is that it's not wrong to do that when you're talking about the Word of God because we're going to face situations. And we're going to go back to the beginning of this. We put ourselves into situations, we try to put ourselves into situations, I hope, where we can succeed. And, and we're not going to do that by making stuff up. And we're not going to do that by, by somehow reading the right book or doing this or doing that. Those aren't really the keys to success. The key to success for us as Christians and anybody that's been around me long enough knows I believe this in my whole heart. Our key success as Christians is to do what God says. That's it. I'd like to make it more complicated. I'd like to you know, give you a 12-step process or 13 or 14, 18-step process because I can sell you by the step. I can sell each step individually and get more money for each step. But it's really just one thing. It's like, God, I hear what you're saying. I'll do it. And he has his will. He has his purposes for your life. It really does. And sometimes those things are, are going to come around. It's going to be the way you thought. Sometimes it's not. Well, who cares? Who cares? We all get something in our head about this the way it's going to be. And then it isn't. And, and if you put all your trust in what you think is going to happen and it doesn't happen that way, you're going to spend an awful lot of energy trying to reconcile that to reality. That's how you get depressed, though. Absolutely. Disappointed. Yeah. You get depressed. When you were saying that you self-talk yourself, I was like, yeah, this is a coping skill. When you have an anxiety attack, what do you say? You say this stuff. I was like, yes. Or like what you were sharing about your five-minute teaching about like when you get depressed and things like that. Like, yeah, if you, can, you can go real deep if you take it to the, you can get so deep off the deep end if you're just like, oh, this is it's so, you know what I mean, it's so bad. Man. Like, you're disappointed. Yeah. But, then, but if you're not trying to reconcile and you're just living in how God says, then you Free of that. He wants you free of that. He wants us free of that. The, the lie of the world is that we can control things around us to the point that we can produce our own happiness. And the reality of it is none of that is true. I think that drives you to madness. You just get all anxious and 
Well, absolutely. You know, and even when I, when I, and I was going to say, I experience anxiety sometimes, and I, I'll just self-talk the Word of God. God, I cast all my cares upon you because I know that you care for me. God, I pray you set a guard around my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God, thanks for setting a guard around my heart and mind. I appreciate that. I accept that. I receive that guard. Your heart slow down. Stop I remember Kim forced me to do this. I was freaking out. Kim was like, you're not leaving my car. So we started praying. So like, oh. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, everything. Now don't, don't misunderstand me. Now prayer is talking to God. It's not self-talk. But I mean, you know, there is, when you quote the scripture to yourself, that's what I'm talking about, self-talk. Oh. You see? All right? And because I do, I quote scripture to myself. And I look at what David's doing here. He's like, I would have surely fainted if I hadn't known that I will see God's goodness in this life. Alright, this is one thing I can be sure of, is that I will see the goodness of God in this life. I will. I'm going to wait on you, God. I'm going to be strong in you, God. I'm not going to lose hope. I say to myself, listen up, self. Wait. Just wait. Just wait. Wait. And that's how he overcame the anxiety he was in. That's how he overcame the circumstances he was in. That's how he was overcoming his enemies surrounding him, too numerous to count, that were making fun of him and that were lying about him, that were wicked in every way. They were trying to destroy him. That's how he dealt with it. That's what he did. He spoke truth. And he continued to speak truth. There are times where you know, I'll read things that uh, there, there are certain verses that were given over me or me and June <coughs> years ago about who we are in God. And when it seems like those things are not happening, like there's bad times or there's hard times or there's, there's times where people are, are talking or lying or whatever it is, I will quote those verses to myself out loud to remind myself. But this is what God says. I'm not going to argue my way out of reality. I need to stop that. We need to stop it. To stop arguing our way or trying to argue our way out of reality. Reality just is what it is. Really, and, and whatever's going to happen, happens. God sends the rain on the evil and the just. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. Time and chance happen to us all. That's what the Bible says. Alright, we can make something else up if we want, but things just happen sometimes. And you think, well, why are these bad things happening? I must have done something wrong. Well, how do you explain every apostle dying a, a brutal death? Except for John, who was in prison. How do you explain that? Our Savior died a brutal death. And he was perfect. Why are we looking to explain hard times by our shortcomings? Why? <coughs> Yeah, except for that's just not the way it is. Somebody lied to us. 
Somebody lied to us somewhere along the line. That TV evangelist said, accept Jesus now in your life and your life will get better. <laughs> yeah. I used to believe that. I'm like, come on, yeah. let's go get saved. Yeah. You go to that mega church in Waikiki yeah. every, every other week and come up to the altar call. Like, how many times can you get saved until your life is going to get better? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Perfect. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> do something with it, I'll be really super happy. I don't want that to get buried in what we're talking about. Because if you really know him, and I want to encourage you to really know him, you find that mercy there. All the time. All the time. Whenever I have people try to tell me who Jesus is, they can tell me all they want. I know him. They tell me how he feels about me, too. And I know they're wrong because I know him. <clears throat> tell me how I should feel about him. I just feel how I feel about him because I know him. i got to get to that spot. Because it gets real hard for the devil to lie to you when you get to that spot. Real hard. Anybody have any comments or questions? Any that make any sense to you? <laughs> I want to encourage what I want, but I, I also want to get us free from those patterns of just making stuff up. So I'll get out of it. Get right out of those patterns. And just see it for what it is. Life is pretty good. I mean, it is. And, and there's going to be some hard times and there's going to be some good times or whatever it is you want to try to define it as. And if I encourage you not to even define those times, you'd be doing even better. But there's just going to, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. What's going to be, what's going to be. And the biggest question we have in the midst of all that is, God, what do you want me to do? What do you have for me? You know, every time when I had a job, I think somebody like, or, or I was playing a sport, or I was on campus at SU, and there's a new boss, or a new coach, or there was a new chancellor, or there was somebody new that came in that like they were going to be more friendly to me, or, or to my position, or to the gospel, or to my job, or to my whatever I was doing on the field. And I, every time I thought, it's just going to be awesome when I saw it coming. <clears throat> every time. Every time. And I'm talking every time. It turned out worse. Because what was in my head, you know where it came from? 
I made it up, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I just made that up. So it didn't happen. Because <laughs> I just made it up. And after a while, I started figuring it out. I did. Like about all kinds of stuff. Like jobs with bosses and campuses with chancellors and teams with coaches and all kinds of stuff. I just figured it out. Like I just have no idea. Is this going to be better? Don't know. Is it going to be worse? Have no idea. Is this going to solve the problem? Doubt it. But, it, you know, I don't know. And being okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. I have no idea. At least I'm not making it up. That's right? what they say. <laughs> That's what they say when um, they told my boss told me when the state comes in and they ask you what's this person's goals. Just say I don't know. Don't try and say I know the answer. I was just thinking that like how many times like, people ask me something like I'm already like oh either try to cover it up if it don't look good on me or uh. then, like, no, <laughs> or something like that. Right. But she was like no don't do that. The state will cite. I'm just thinking that like yeah I do that a lot. Kind of like, oh, you know well. You know, maybe omit the truth or something, or try to make make it look better. Or oh, he's in the wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she's like, oh. so I started just thinking that, like, yeah, like, uh, just say you don't know. Maybe I should do that. Right. Yeah, there's a lot we don't know, and that's okay. Don't make it up. That's bad. <laughs> He set a false expectation that's not going to come to pass. All right? Okay. Any other questions or comments? How did you feel like when it got worse when you had the expectation? Were you just like, were you disappointed? Yeah, yeah. of course. Set myself up to be disappointed. What do you mean? I made something up, it didn't come to pass, and I totally thought it was going to. Cause I made it up, you know, and you don't make up, like I don't normally make up, you know, stuff that I don't want to happen in that scenario, you know, I'm going to make up something good, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be. Like I'm going to get promoted and he's going to start asking me my questions, why don't you come in for a weekly prayer meeting with him or something, you know, or something, yeah, no, no, that didn't happen, no, no, because I made it up. So I was all disappointed at what, that I made something up, yeah, that's not, I didn't think of it that way, but I should have. So don't make it up, all right? And and really, when it comes down to certain things in our lives, we need to what matters, what doesn't, and have a lot more stuff that doesn't matter. Really, recognize it as that. What really, really matters is really, really little. Okay, and hold on to that. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for, uh, I, I thank you for giving us uh, a steadfast love and a real love and a true love, a love that calls us and beckons us into your presence, that uh, really encourages us to seek your face, to seek your presence in our, in our lives and to live in that experience and live in that place with you. I pray that we'll find that spot with you. Each of us, 
that will answer your call and that will put ourselves in a position to move closer and closer to you. Just say every day. All the time. More of you. More of your presence. More of your truth. Whether it's worshiping, whether it's praying, it's reading your word. More, God. More of your presence. So much mercy. So much love. So much grace. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you, you help us to learn how to speak your word into our lives. God, that, that to really take hold of portions of your word that we need and really be able to speak those into our own lives. The truth of that. The truth of, of what you're saying. The truth of what you've done. The truth, God, of where you're at in all of this. The truth, God, of who we are in you. But to speak the truth over ourselves in, especially in hard situations, especially in challenging times. That we would just learn to speak the truth of your word into our own lives. As David said, we would encourage ourselves, but with truth, with your word. And so Lord, we trust you. I pray that you help us to trust you more. God, we have patience. And God, I know I can pray for each of us that we'd have even more. And uh, we just ask that as we wait, we put ourselves into your hands. More and more fully, more and more completely. Give you thanks tonight. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.